So welcome to this special edition, episode 19 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. We're here though, it's uh, Daz, Daz and uh, Andrew today because we're joined by another good friend of ours, uh, Andrew Cleaver. Andrew, how are you today? Very good, Daz. How are you? I'm good. And uh, Daz with Singles Ed, how are you? Good as always, my friend. Yes, we've got you on a seven-second delay this week, Daz, after last week, uh, <laughs> just to just to see if uh, any rants sort of come. We, we're going to be joined by another friend of ours, Cram, who uh, is a Warriors fan. We're hoping to have a Warriors-Cavs uh, sort of back and forth because Andrew is a Cavs fan. And um, there's been some accusations, Daz, that we've been a little bit harsh on both of those teams at different stages. So they both sort of mm. wanted the right of reply. But uh, Cram, unfortunately, can't be with us, but he did pass on that he wanted to apologise to all San Antonio fans on behalf of all Warriors fans for what Zaza did in game <laughs> one of the Western Conference finals. So I thought that was quite classy of him. So thank you for that, Cram. Uh, but he is hoping to be on next week. So uh, we'll see how that works out but Andrew I wanted to start with you I guess and get because obviously Daz and I have sort of spoken from a fan's point of view over the over the course of these first 18 episodes but talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a Cavs fan because you've obviously gone from uh, the, the great era I remember of the price sort of Doherty Cavs then through, I couldn't even tell you one player from the time that Mark Price retired or Mark Price left to when LeBron started. And then, of course, you had the LeBron era. Um, I wasn't all that, uh, you know, in terms of the Cavs, I sort of wasn't that worried about LeBron. I mean, I, I sort of was a bit agnostic towards LeBron for many years uh, when he was first in Cleveland. And then, like most people, I turned off him uh, when he made the decision and went to Miami. Uh, and as I said last week, once I sort of turn off someone, generally that's where I stay. But obviously Cleveland fans, a little bit different once he comes back. But sort of talk us through, I guess, the journey from even if you want to start from when LeBron came in to when he left and sort of how you're feeling these days as a Cavs fan. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you touched on the on the price Doherty year. I, I guess that's another reason why Cram couldn't make it today because he he has nightmares of uh, playing NBA GM with me at Torwood Avenue and having threes rained upon him by Mark Price back in the mid nineties. Um, but uh, yeah, the Cavs fan and the Cleveland fan in general, I must say, uh, it's uh, I know that uh, Single Z Daz can probably relate to it as a as a Bucks fan, not so much as a Packers fan, but. Uh, Pretty lean pickings over the years, that's for sure. I mean, uh, as as you as you threw to me, I was just thinking of a couple of the names in the in the post uh, Price Doherty era, you know, such luminaries as Darius Miles and Ricky Davis, who can who can forget his uh, triple double attempt by you know, <laughs> shooting a, <laughs> shooting a ball in his own basket to try and uh, try and get that last rebound against uh, Jerry Sloan, who basically wanted to kill him after the game. Um, but yeah, then uh, then I guess it all changed in uh, in '03 when uh, you know we were, we were lucky enough to to win the lottery for the first of what was about 15 times in the uh, <laughs> in the 2000s. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it all it all changed then with, with LeBron. I mean, yeah, it was still pretty. Uh, I think we only won 33 games the first couple of years he was there. But geez, I mean that I mean, that first game he played when he scored 29 against Sacramento, he just knew he was he was something special. Um, so following following that era with him and and the Neville Nobody sidekicks with you know, Eric Snow and 
Larry Hughes and, and then and those guys where he you know somehow willed us to the 07 finals before I can't quite remember what happened in that that, that final series but oh, uh, it's been touched on in this pod. <laughs> it, it has yes I, I know it has been touched on yes um, so yeah I mean that that was that was great I, I honestly thought he he could do it himself in that era um, if we just had got him I mean, they tried to get to, to get some extra some some help, but they, I think they were very close to making it a Murray Stoudemire trade. I think at one point they didn't want to give up JJ Hickson, and that that might have been enough to tip him over because they didn't need much more back then. But Jesus, once uh, once he left, oof, God, back in the uh, <laughs> back in the dark age, the Anthony Bennett era. Um, wow, that was um, that was four years of my life. I'll, I'll never get back. That was, but. Um, well, here's yeah, a quick I, I quiz actually... question for you. Who was the last player introduced when, when LeBron first went back to Cleveland? Who was the last player that the, the Cavs introduced as their star player for the night? Do you remember that? Oh, God. Who was Baron Davis? Um, no, it was none other than Mo Williams. Ah, <laughs> so uh, Mo Williams. Well, Mo Williams was an all-star back when, when LeBron's first incarnation. That, that's that's how good LeBron is, and he got him to an all-star game. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I, I I never for a million years thought he would come back um, to Cleveland uh, once once uh, once once he opted out and. Uh, uh, wherever he went for those four years on his Mormon missionary tour or whatever happened in those four years, I really didn't watch much basketball. Um, but uh, unlike yourself, Daz, um, I, I wrestled long and hard. Once I, I'll never forget lying in bed uh, on a, I think it was a Sunday morning, and I got a text from someone saying that he was coming back, and I just thought it was, I was getting pranked. And I went on to like ESPN or something on my phone and it took me about a quarter of a second and all was forgiven. <laughs> because that was like, <laughs> barring the birth of my two kids, that was the most joyous moment in my life. <laughs> 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 Knowing that we were out of basketball purgatory again and suddenly relevant. Um, and, uh, yeah, the last two years have been, uh, been a fair ride, especially last year. Wow, that was, um, yeah, that, that game seven... Well, actually, I mean, I, after Game Four last year, when the Warriors touched us up, I, I had, I was, you know, I was down on down on the world as as far as basketball went. I didn't think we had a hope, but uh, even even right up until the end of end of Game Seven, I was just just waiting for you know, Steph Curry to to you know, knock a few shots out of his ass or whatever like he like he'd done. But yeah, I, I remember collapsing on my girlfriend's floor and basically just lying there for about two minutes after that game finished, just stunned. Unbelievable that uh, that a Cleveland team had won a title uh, for the first time, well, in my lifetime, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good the last two years. Actually, it's been really fun. Mm. Oh, look, I get it. I mean, I'll throw the Daz now because I mean, I, I said last week, and I think quite fairly that he's a he's a the most weak-minded superstar in the history of basketball. And maybe Kevin Durant's making a run at that with his move to the Warriors this year. But the reason I say that is we just it's just hard to picture, and this is where I think Jordan's always on that other play, it's hard to picture Jordan looking for another star to play with and looking for, you know, always sort of wanting, oh, I need extra players, I need more help, and that's sort of being a little bit of LeBron's uh, persona and, and sort of the, the storyline behind him for a number of years now. Um, but 
I'm, I'm interested in your take, Daz. I mean, is that, a, is that a fair assumption? I mean, obviously, I can understand the Cleveland fans' take on it to sort of, you know, the, the, all will be forgiven as soon as he walks back through the door. But, I mean, is that your sort of take on LeBron and the LeBron journey thus far? I, I didn't call it... I didn't call it weak-minded. I understand where you come from with that, but I, um, I just sort of called it cowardly. But I go, I, that's why I go. It's, but it's hard. It's almost hard now, looking back in retrospect, to say. In maybe, um, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. Is didn't they, didn't the Cavs kind of try everything? Didn't they sort of try every possible patchwork? veteran sort of idea to sort yeah. of help surround him and correct this is didn't Shaq end his career playing yeah. in Cleveland do yeah. I have that do I have that yeah. right yeah. yeah no Shaq yeah, yeah, actually yeah. ended his career in Boston but his last moment of relevance okay. was, was but yeah he was it was it was uh win a ring for the king was his uh was his slogan when he when he played for the Cavs and he actually played quite well for about half a season until he uh until he got hurt, you know, for the nine hundredth time and never came back. But yeah. they were so they were so hamstrung with um, with the salary cap. That was the thing. They just they 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 if they had a bit of bit of room under the cap and could have even got a you know, they didn't need a superstar to go with him, but just someone like a, a fringe all star or even a even a quality starter would have been enough. They tried with Larry Hughes, they tried with Shaq, they tried Oh, yeah, like they had Wally Zerbiak came back. They, oh, yeah, and Jesus, they, 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 yeah, you're right. They tried a lot, but just couldn't, couldn't get that that extra extra guy to go with him. So, so I, I at the time, right at the time, probably like nine, I don't know, nine, I, the vast majority of old, old farts like me, right, sort of said the same thing, which you hinted at, Daz was, you know, Michael would never do this. He'd he'd go and lift weights and whatever he'd he'd do something differently and i go that's obviously it's a bit revisionist history because it's bleeping lucky they traded Derek mckee for scotty pippen right if that doesn't work right we don't have this conversation i'll be i'm pretty confident right because jordan struggled for what six his first title was year seven mm. right yeah year seven or year eight so kind of go um i think if he just didn't do that horrible televised um you know, fisting of the entire nation of Cavs and and everyone who supported LeBron his entire. If he just didn't do the public humiliation, I have a feeling we'd all think a little bit differently now because he went back, right? Mm. But how he did it probably was a signal of his confidence was was shot. He started to check out, right? The infamous or famous games in Boston where he just stopped playing in the playoffs. Right, you could just sort of almost like what we saw from Harden this year. You just sort of you saw him kind of lost all faith, and so if he just hadn't done the stupid television show, correct me if I'm wrong, Cleaver, but wouldn't you kind of have forgiven him for the Miami yeah. years? But you, that, that's that, kind of how you, I think. Yeah, you, you're bang on. It wasn't it wasn't the fact that he left because we get it. Like he was there for seven years under his under his rookie deal and then the extension. Yeah. And 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 we tried. We couldn't get him the, the player. I mean, we were winning sixty games a year in the regular season. But you know, apart from that uh, that run in 07, they just didn't have it in the playoffs. So the Boston had figured them out. They'd lost to Orlando the year before. 
we 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 under I, I understood as a Cavs fan that yeah there was a fair chance he was going to go somewhere, but just the way he did it and just to have it strung out and, and knowing that you know there was the entire city was all of Cleveland and and, and all all the guys around the world, all the fans around the world were like hanging on this stupid live yeah. TV thing and just ripping your heart out like that. I mean. Yeah, if it had, a, it had just come up as a headline on ESPN.com, LeBron has free agent move to Miami, I would have been pissed off, but I would have got over it in, you know, two or three years, not four years at all. <laughs> but no, yeah. it was it was it was the way he did it, not not why he did it. Well, and the, here's the, the, the here's the flip side argument, I guess, for Cavs fans. If LeBron doesn't leave, there's every chance that they never win a title because you don't have Kyrie, yeah. you don't have Kevin Love. He's probably still running around with whatever little pieces that they can sort of put together. You don't have Andrew Wiggins. You don't have any of it. Yeah. You don't have well, Wiggins. Yeah. Wiggins got got love. It was it was. I that's, mean, right. that's right. So you don't yeah. have love, and obviously the two number ones, Bennett and and Wiggins, turned into Kevin Love. Um, oh. Maybe they would have had to keep Danny Green or something, and uh, a Green Lebron would have would have oh, been the yeah. one two punch they needed. Uh-huh. I wonder one of the <laughs> that was met with a bit too much song. Yeah, I'll let the Cavs fan laugh at that one. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I guess maybe the I don't know. I don't know how far we're going to get on the philosophical angle to it, but um, part of me hates the sense that, um, in a way, I don't know how probably smarter people than me have talked about this, but going to Miami, remember how LeBron became. He tried to do everything, right? Played 44 minutes a night and do everything, and that didn't work. And he learned to become a facilitator, right? And started deferring that. And then that became a criticism when his deferring and his facilitation game where he tries to make his teammates around him better. He get criticized for that. So I kind of thought, I also felt like LeBron couldn't win. He was criticized for trying to do too much, then criticized for being over-facilitating. And then what I think he learned in Miami which he probably had to learn in order to come back was how to be, how to be a peer, right? How to be a, how to live with another superstar with a D Wade and a Bosch. So he could facilitate and he could dominate and he could defer and he could change his roles. And so when he came back to Cleveland, it's like, bang, you had Kyrie and Kevin. And he's like, he instantly knew, right? How to, you know, he knew which, which of his personas to play, the dominant first four years LeBron or the super over facilitator, you know, years five and six LeBron and, and sort of fit in. And I don't know if he would have ever learned that had he also stayed just trying to be, you know, being the king and 50 times better than all of his teammates. So I don't know if it's, if that's been written about before, but I think he learned how to be a, probably a better a better leader in Miami. Well, he said that himself. I mean, that was part of his letter yeah. when, when he came back. That was one of the things he said, I had to go and I learned how to win, essentially, in Miami. And, I mean, you go to another organisation, one of the – and we've spoken about it on the pod. Um, they're, they're right up there with the Spurs for me in terms of the great organisations in the NBA. Um, in term, you know, Successful every single year. You saw what they did this year with a pretty poor line-up on paper, at least. Uh, and when you got a guy like Pat Riley there, suppose a great coach, Wade's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, Bosch is a nice addition. Um, not convinced he's a Hall of Fame level player, but very, very good uh, player in his own right. Um, 
and you know even guys like Juwan Howard who were around that team like that was just a really professional outfit and sort of showed him what you need to do to get to that next level which obviously he's been able to do uh, since coming back to Cleveland so I guess looking at it from a Cavs fan I don't think there's there's really any regrets necessarily looking back other than as you said the way he did it um, but it, it, for, for a fan like myself it's just made it not impossible for me to ever really root for the guy um, seeing what he did and not only that of course the, the, the welcome party that Miami had which uh, didn't really sit, sit too well with any fans across the NBA but Andrew I want to get your take as well on the Warriors so the flip side of this and the Warriors have, have put in a few noses out of the joint um, we saw Daz last week not overly impressed with uh, how they were how they've been carrying on lately and sort of, I guess, from a Cavs fan, because there, there is a genuine dislike, isn't there, now between the two franchises. And I guess my sort of feeling is I think there's a little bit of tall poppy syndrome and when a team gets too good, I mean, you don't mind these teams being a little bit brash uh, you know, and having a little bit of a swagger when they're sort of coming up the ranks. But once you get to the top, we expect a little bit of humility. So is it a matter of it's a little bit of, uh, tall poppy syndrome or are there certain things that you think that this team does that say the Heat didn't do and other top teams haven't done over the years? Well, not to, to belabor the point of the, the rant last week, but I think that the, the, the head guy that, that uh, you know, would get people's noses out of joint as far as the, uh, uh, I don't know if arrogance is the right word, but, uh, you know, the perceived arrogance is, is probably Draymond Green. Uh you know some of the things he's—he's he's just that sort of guy. He's like—he likes to pump things up to the max, and you know he's already come out and says that he wants to annihilate or destroy Cleveland and whatever. Which you know that's it's, it's, it's all well and good, but yeah, you know, I—I don't—I don't really buy into in, into that sort of thing. I agree that you know the, I, don't, I, don't, I like to have the, the I like players to have a bit of personality. That's we don't I I, I can't stand this whole cookie cutter you know. Darius Boyd does to switch sports for a minute with his infamous press conference that he gave about five years ago for rugby league, where he just gave you know, little monotone one word answers. No one wants that. But there, there is a there is a level to it, and then, and you're right, there is a, gen, a a genuine dislike between the two teams. But I think uh, yeah, the, the the Cavs Cavs fans, we I, I don't really we don't really buy into the whole you know, pump. We don't need to pump things up like like the Warriors seem to do, and and. Uh, Get uh, get too emotional about all this. I think we, Kevin Love sort of said the other day that um, yeah we, we we sort of realise we're the underdogs, but we do match up pretty well with the Warriors, you know, as, as well as you can match up with them. I think um, I'm not supremely confident about you know I would I wouldn't make any brash statements that we're going to win you know four nil or four one or whatever, but uh, you know I think I think they'll acquit themselves quite well. I think it's interesting. I want to throw the Daz now about the, the sort of tall poppy aspect of it because I look at Giannis now and Giannis is brash. Giannis is confident. He plays with a swagger. And I wonder how the public's going to perceive Giannis when he's at the top of the league, which is where we expect him to be. And certainly, Daz, I'm sure you hope he will be in the next couple of years. And when Milwaukee are one of the top teams in the league, how do you think people are going to perceive how Giannis carries himself compared to, say, how... The Warriors and some of these Warriors players carry themselves now. How do you see that playing out? Oh, that's an interesting question, which is a problem I 
could only wish would occur. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, look, every I'm sort of I'm with Cleaver. Right? I don't. I think we all agree, um, except for bleep and Spurs fans. We prefer our teams to have personality, right? And there's a reason that NBA, the NBA, is as popular as it is, especially with, I guess, younger crowds. It's a it lends itself. Um, to the individual personalities and personas, and they're fun to follow, versus the NFL, which is gets higher ratings and more revenue, but just, you know, like I love my Packers, but do I have a relationship, I mean, as a fan, like an emotional attachment to Aaron Rodgers, who's been here for, he's been a deity, right? But I actually probably have a deeper affinity for Giannis, because I, I see him 82 times, and I see him, the raw emotion every single day, Aaron Rodgers, right, is behind a helmet. I see him 16 times, and, you know, Roger Goodell manages a league where they actually had to outlaw fun and make it a penalty. Then a whole bunch of billionaire white guys got together and said, you know what, I think we should try and be fun again. And they made touchdown celebrations legal. That's literally one of the changes they've made in the NFL rules this year. So, Mm. um, well, I do... I do acknowledge I even my own vitriol towards what I just don't like is the the false setting up of the setting up and knocking down, right? The falsity and the and just the veneer of the peacocking of Draymond and that postgame that Draymond postgame press conference is really what got under my skin. I go, that serves that serves no one. That absolutely serves no one. It's an insult to the game. It's an insult the opponent no one learns anything i so i just so i sort of am more probably uh, as i pull away from it reminding reminding myself i how how much freaking fun the warriors are to watch when they're playing when they're on an 18 18 to 0 run or 26 and 0 you know 26 nothing runs so the way they play is full of joy and it's full of fun but fuck here we go. That's the first F bond. Just, <laughs> I, I just want, I, maybe it's, and I don't, I just want them to act like they've been there. That's maybe about what, maybe it's what it is, and respect their opponents a little bit. Um, but you're right. There's tall poppy. We love, you know, we hated the Lakers and we hated the Celtics in the '80s, and everyone hated Kobe and Shaq, and everyone who wasn't in Chicago kind of respected but hated and resented Jordan and LeBron was the enemy in Miami, you know, so yeah, you know, you want your team to and to win and, you know, and I sort of kind of, I reflect back on our, we had a little um, instant messenger exchange where I looked at the, this is the 68th NBA Finals, get your head wrapped around this 30 NBA Finals have featured the Lakers, 21 NBA Finals have featured the Celtics Eight in a row have featured LeBron, and then um, six had you know your your Spurs, and so you go literally. There have been nine, nine NBA Finals ever that weren't contested by LeBron. Sorry, I missed Jordan. LeBron, mm-hmm. Jordan, the Spurs, Lakers, or Celtics. Nine in the entire history of the league. And so what that tells me, right? This is a superstar, superstar, superstar league, or the elite superstar league. And so I go. That's what lends itself to, I think, why I probably was, I'm a little more interested in this finals than you are, Daz, from last time, is that we have an historically top three player of all time in LeBron going against perhaps the best team, literally the best regular season team 
in the history of the league. And I go, hopefully, yes, the games might be decided by 20 points each night, but the drama over seven games and what we'll remember is probably like last year. We're not going to remember the fact that it was 116 to, to 94 in game two. We don't remember that. We remember 3-1. We remember the punch in the balls. And we remember the single greatest three-game stretch of NBA Finals basketball ever by LeBron. I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. To who has ever done that against the 73-9 and nine team? So mm. that's where perhaps is an unrealistic and unfathomable goal to hope that the drama of this year kind of adds to the history of this of this matchup. But I go, I have a feeling we're in the middle of Lakers Celtics in the 80s. That's my sense. I think this could be the third of five in a row. And so I'm kind of in that vein where um, I'm totally avoiding your Giannis question, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> and I'm still I'm still quite looking forward to two weeks from now, going hopefully there was something dramatic that was delivered. Mm. I think the point is, I mean, with Giannis, people like, and I, and I won't, we won't go back to it other than to make this point, that we don't mind guys being brash and being a little bit confident, having a swagger when you're coming up. But once you get to the top, there seems to be this expectation of humility. And some teams just aren't built that way. So I guess we've just got to get our heads around that. And the other point I'd make is nobody liked Kobe Bryant because he was a prick. Okay, let's not, never forget that. It had nothing to do with how many games he won. Um, even when he was winning 44 games, everyone hated him. So His teammates hated him. Everyone that's hated him. That's a bit unfair. He was, he was deep in the muse cage for his career. <laughs> he was. He got stuck in the muse cage at some point. Now, the other point I'll make, I guess, on the final. So uh, I think it was Chuck, uh, Chuck Cloisterman made this uh, point with Bill Simmons. I was listening to it today, and he said, with the super teams, it made... The regular season was more interesting, and I think it was a very interesting regular season, we've, and we've touched on that, Daz. But the playoffs themselves have been very boring because of that, because of this sort of air and inevitability, other than the sort of first you know, half and a bit for the Spurs-Warriors game um, that we're going to see Warriors-Cavs. But what I am noticing is... I guess the the general public and the people that maybe don't always follow the NBA and are not sort of rusted on supporters like we are, they're really interested in in this finals matchup. And I've had people sort of asking me when I've been talking to them generally about this this finals matchup. And so there does seem to genuinely be more interest across the board in this matchup because of this sort of the super team era, I guess, and the fact that everyone wants to see this matchup. So even though the the basketball to put it mildly has been underwhelming between these two teams to this point. I think there has been overall a much higher interest um, in the in, in sort of this matchup, and so the NBA probably not sitting back. I mean, if the Warriors win four nil, I think Adam Silver will say we've got a problem here. But if this goes seven games again, I think Adam Silver will be happy to just let that roll out again. And if it if it's a four peak next year. I don't think they're going to lose too much sleep over it because eventually this will wash through and the, and the CBA will sort of the way they've set it up now, you're hoping that guys like Garnis and Anthony Davis, etc., will stay at their teams and they'll eventually be contenders as well. Um, but we might move on now to the actual sort of breakdown of the series, I guess. Uh, and Andrew, I'll go to you first. So you touched on it. You're sort of quietly confident. Um, I mean, how much do Cavs fans take from the fact that the Spurs went into Oakland and for two and a half quarters absolutely kicked the Warriors' ass before the coward 
came in and did what he did. <laughs> and I'm not going to refer to him by his name anymore in this podcast. He's now the coward because he didn't even turn no. up in San Antonio. Pretended he had a heel injury and didn't even turn up. So that's all I'll say about that. But in, in all seriousness, how much do you take out of that to say this team is beatable and if we execute at the level we're capable of executing at, we can actually uh, take these guys over a semi-game series? Well, well, firstly, I respect that that you don't won't, won't refer to to that player by his actual name because you know I didn't refer to a certain player by his actual name for four years there. Um, but uh, I took a lot out of that actually. Um, it uh, yeah, I, uh, the Warriors. I mean, let's face it, they're they're pretty scary. They're a pretty scary <laughs> scary team. When they get going, there's not much you can do. I mean, when you when you've got Got the spacing that they have with, uh, you know, the, probably the greatest pure shooter ever. Um, you know, a guy who was the MVP two years ago. Um, the, the 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 son. Of, he's almost the son of the pew beard in Clay Thompson. He can, you know, show what he could do. Especially you know, if you go back to that Thunder series um, against the Warriors last year in Game Six, where he single-handedly saved saved their season. Um, and Draymond can, can can knock down shots too. So yeah, when when they're on a roll, they're scary. But it just that 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 half just proved again. And I mean, you know, we showed it showed it ourselves on on in the Christmas Day game that they're not unbeatable. And I mean, last year you would have thought they were unbeatable. They started what twenty five and zero, finished seventy three and nine, and and even. I mean, yeah, we all remember the Cavs coming back from three one, but they had to come back from three one themselves against the Thunder. So, you know, in a, in a seven-game series, you can figure things out. Um, I think it's important that we, that we do play well in game one. Um, mind you, last year, I think they got pretty well towed up in the first two games um, in Oakland. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I would be surprised if the Cavs didn't win at least two. Mm. And if they, if they got it, if it was if it was, if it was two all, I'd be, I'd be fairly confident that... Um, that they could they could come through again because you know when LeBron goes into full fu mode, he's a beast. I mean, he showed that last year. He's he shown it this year again. Like you know, I was I was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I was genuinely worried about two weeks before the playoffs started about facing a Toronto or a Washington. Just the way the Cavs finished off that season, I didn't like it at all. But you could now, in retrospect, they were just bored, just waiting for the playoffs, and they flipped the switch, and now they're ready to go, and they're firing on all cylinders. And I mean, Kevin Love's just come off probably the best best series he's had as a cat um, in that Boston series. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 confident they'll 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 hold you know, hold steady against them for sure at, at a minimum. Yeah, I take a different view. My view would, I guess, be that I think the Warriors are unbeatable the way they're constructed at the moment over a seven-game series. I just can't see how anyone beats them unless injuries or suspension happens, um, which is, you know, and that's really what happened in a sense last year as well. I'm not sure the Cavs get over the hump if Draymond doesn't have the brain explosion. But I guess, and I want to throw to you now, Daz, in terms of where I see the advantages lie for the Warriors, I think there's a there's a coaching advantage. Um, with Mike Brown, I'm still not a, a convinced about oh, Tyler Lue as a coach, but um, well, are you convinced about Mike Brown? Oh, Mike Brown's Jesus. assistant coach at the Spurs, 2003, so he, he he's fine. He's been through the fire. Um, <laughs> the other point is, I think the Warriors are going to be locked in on defense every single play, four quarters a game, 
And I just think that's the big advantage. Like, yes, Cleveland are going to have points where they get hot and start making shots, but the Warriors will stay engaged on the defensive end. I think they'll win. That's that's the end of the floor. They they can win this series because I'm just not sure that because um, Boston missed a lot of open shots in that Eastern Conference Finals. I'm telling you that right now. I, I yeah. think the Cavs just haven't quite got it still. Whether it's an organisational thing, whether it's an effort thing on the defensive end. I just don't think they're up to the level of the Warriors, and that's where I see the advantages. But I'm interested in your thoughts, Darren, on how you see this series going. Well, just picking up on that last point, I think it was, um, I forget, Zach Lower Woj put me on this, this stat you just mentioned, which was the, the Cavs' defense, right? Intensity, no doubt, has been up. Effort has been up, and it's been a lot better than it was for 45 games, or the last 45 games of the regular season, no question. But the, the Boston shot an average of 34 three-pointers per game in the series. An unbelievable 27 out of the 34 were either classified as open or wide open. An open three-pointers with four to six feet of space, and a wide open is six feet of space. And remarkably, Boston only shot 30% on the open three-pointers and a you know a good but not killer 42% on the um, on the wide open shots. They go. Golden State's going to shoot 40 of those. If mm. Cleveland lets them shoot 30 open or wide open three-pointers, that's it. There's no more calculus. I don't care about matchups. I don't care who got nut punched or who rolls an ankle or didn't. Is if you if they're going to shoot 40 or probably could they shoot, could shoot 50, they're going to shoot 50%, right? I think because of just, right, you look at their lineup and they're going to probably over seven games shoot better than 30% and 42% like Boston did. Boston just didn't make shots. So that is a massive, that's a massive problem, right? Um, on the flip side, and getting the bridge there is going to be interesting. Um, and maybe this is part of the Kevin Durant factor and having too many cooks in the kitchen. But if you can get Golden State into clutch situations, they're pretty awful in the clutch, Right. Um, so clutch is the you know five point game you know yeah. inside of um, inside of five minutes they've oh, can you believe this they've only been there thirteen times mm. in the regular season so they blow most teams out right but here's where it gets interesting in those games where they're inside the clutch thirteen times the Caval the Cleveland had the best net rating in the in the NBA on points per one hundred the Warriors were twentieth. The Warriors are outscored by 11 or 12 points per 100 possessions. So what that says in clutch, and this, this makes sense. We saw it in last year's finals, right? We saw Kyrie, and everyone knows what LeBron can do. Versus we saw Steph shoot a bunch of pull-up 31-footers in Game 6 and Game 7. We saw Kevin Durant for years in decision and fighting and over-polite and over-aggressive, not working out, you know, um, the – you know, um, in OKC with Russ in, in crunch time, right? Famous crunch time problems. So if Cleveland can turn the series into um, kind of our new favorite Daz and Daz metaphor, turn it into a rock fight, turn it into a, turn it into a lower possession sort of game, find a way to use their bench and leverage their bench to give the guys some rest so that LeBron can play. Here's the other because the other complication I'm thinking, how do you get? The, how does Cleveland get this to crunch time? Is the question. 
And is I think um, they're going to have to find ways for LeBron to rest. And it was easy for LeBron to rest last year because he could just sort of hang out and play free safety and patrol the control the lane when you had Harrison Barnes shooting fucking air balls and Andre Godala, you know, sh- shooting like he's got, you know, full body dry heave, like Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld shooting a jump shot, you know, <laughs> just let, let, let her go. But now what's he, what's he, what's LeBron going to go? He's going to sag off KD. He can sag off clay. I guess he could, he could match up LeBron with Draymond, but then what? Let Kevin Love guard Kevin Durant. So fucking LeBron's going to have to work his ass off on defense. I think that's, for me, is the biggest. So the two combinations of things, if they can find a way to get to clutch, advantage Cleveland, no question about it. And Cleveland will score, right? Cleveland will score. You're right. Golden State's defense is better, but Cleveland will score. But they're going to need to get lucky with Golden State missing wide-open shots. So and somehow find LeBron a way to get rest for, I don't know, Cleaver. What, does he need six minutes or eight minutes of rest if he could play 40 minutes a game. Yeah. I swear he, he's going to have to play balls out on, I know he's a cyborg, but I don't know how he's going to do this for seven games. So that my analysis, I don't know. I don't have the formula. I don't know how they're going to find four victories in there, but um, they somehow need to turn it into a wrestling match. Well, here's the formula I saw. And again, small sample size in that little bit that we had where the Spurs sort of got on top of the Warriors was I think you need three, at least three guys that are playing really well on defense. And, and the Spurs had Danny Green, Kawhi and uh, Jonathan Simmons. And at least you're sort of making Golden State work at the other end. Um, and then obviously the ability to hit them to make shots down the other end and maybe, you know, try and bully them in the post a little bit and get every single rebound. So there's a lot of things, but you've just the, the 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 problem with trying to beat the Warriors is you have to execute at it almost a hundred percent, and that's where I think, again, as I said last week, and I think it's the same in this series, the Warriors can have a bad game and still beat the Cavs, but the Cavs can't have a bad game. If Cavs have a bad game, they won't just lose; they'll get blown out. Whereas the Warriors can sort of have a bad three quarters and then just catch fire. So that's, I think, the difference to me between the two teams. I guess from from the Cavs' point of view, obviously scoring, they can score. We've got Kyrie. Kevin Love's played better. I think Kevin Love will just sort of pick his moments in some respects, a little bit like Bosch used to do on the Heat. And LeBron's LeBron. So it's more, again, as I said, the defensive end where I look at it. And I think, well, does Iman Shumpert need to play more minutes in this series? Um, how's RJ going to go on the, on the defensive end? He's sort of been a little bit up and down. How, how important is Corver going to be? Obviously, he's important offensively. Can he survive on the defensive end? So I think there's a lot of sort of line-up questions that Ty Lu needs to ask. I mean, what's your thoughts, Andrew? Is there a lineup in your head that you think this is a lineup that could work for extended minutes against these guys? Uh, well, I think the, the starting lineup is, is is really really it. I mean, when you, when you start looking at the bench, yeah, Shumpert Shumpert will get spot minutes. Um, I'm not sure about RJ this year. He, he had a, a few big moments in the finals last year, but. Um, I think he's he's sort of relegated to a bit of a cheer squad role at the moment. Um, Darren Williams is, is an interesting one. He's, um, he, he's 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 had some good good uh, good minutes here and there, um, but um, but you're right. It's 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 
I'm not so worried about our offense because, you know, we bring guys like Corver and, and Williams and, um, you know, even Channing Fry can hit a, hit a few shots, but uh, off, off the bench, but uh, it's, it's the defense. That's, that's the worry. Um, because I mean, obviously, uh, you know, their starting five are going to be playing heavy minutes as well. It's not like it's, you know, January 10 and we're playing game 47 of the regular season. And, it's, you know, it's, it's hyped. But at the end of the day, who cares? I mean, this is this is for all the marbles now. So everyone's going to be wanting to be be out there. Um, I, I, I just think our starting five is the, is, is our best lineup. Um, possibly um, you'd swap out Smith for Shumpert if you needed some more defence. But um, I, I wouldn't be straying too far from, from that. Yeah, LeBron, as 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 uh, as Hill was saying, would he'll be he'll be playing forty two, forty four minutes a game. He'll be yeah, he's he's the best athlete that's that's ever played the game. So I'm not too worried about him playing playing heavy minutes. But um, yeah, mm. I mean, is there a lineup in your mind, Darren, that, that you think could worry the Warriors outside of the the staying five? Or is it like you're going to ride that 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 starting five as best you can if you're Ty Lue? No, I, I was almost going to go almost total opposite. So I'm thinking about, I don't, again, you guys fill in the blanks, but I'm thinking between Moskov, Delhi, Verizhal, Mo Williams, and 71-year-old JJ, right? I go, think about the Cavs bench last year. Moskov, Delhi, Verizhal, big Mo Williams, compared to Darren Williams, Kyle Korver, Channing Fry. Shump and RJ, I go, that's a fucking massive upgrade, especially with the Corver and Fry and the playmaking of Darren Williams. So you can have, you can have love Kyrie and LeBron, two of those three, basically, you know, in rotation on the floor with, with playmakers and shooters. And so I actually think the, um, perhaps the bridge to this is, believe it or not, the pressure on Channing Fry, Kyle Corver and Amon Shumpert in the second unit you know, when um, Pat McCaw or JaVale McGee and, you know, Iguodala, you know, when the, when the, when the dubs bench is on, you know, as they're, as they're rotating through, I think that's the possibility where you could have a distinct advantage. I think the starting fives, I go, cause I just, I got them written down. And I go, man, those starting fives and look how well Cleveland's been shooting the, the three as well in the playoffs. I know that Indiana and Cleveland isn't exactly Golden State's defense, but their three-point proficient, their you know volume and percentage is way up. So I think Cleveland's offense can hang. So maybe it's that I'd almost say rest them, do the anti-Dantoni, and see what you can get. Find if you can go a plus eight in six minutes with your bench. You know, that's yeah, huge. Mm. And that's where I'll give Tyloo some credit. He has played all his the lineup. He hasn't just been sticking to eight men rotation. So he's been trying different lineups and maybe he's got something in his back pocket that he's thinking, I think this lineup can work uh, against the Warriors and give the Warriors some sort of trouble. I guess from both teams, having such an easy run in and, and part of it's been injuries of every single team that they've met. I mean the Warriors met Portland without Nurkic. They met Utah with a hobbled Gobert, no George Hill, and obviously the Spurs were decimated as well. So they haven't really seen an offense anywhere near what Cleveland are going to bring to the table. And as Zach Lowe pointed out, they're, they're falling into some bad habits again. There's some turnovers turning, creeping back into their game. Um, their rebounding was a little bit off at different times. And But I think the flip side of that is Cleveland have not seen the defense like Golden State either. 
and so they've been used to just getting easy shots and it's sort of the opposite of what I talked about when the Raptors went from Milwaukee to Cleveland now Cleveland's sort of going from that four lane highway now to the, the little back road where there's only one lane and you've got to be really careful about where you go so their turnovers might go up through the roof as well when you consider the, the lack of sort of defensive intensity they've seen um, and the weak competition that they've seen again with, with players being injured so I think it's it's going to be I guess from Cleveland's point of view they need to win the turnover battle they need to win the rebounding battle and probably win it quite well and to your point Darren I think their bench needs to really turn up so if they can get something it doesn't have to be across the whole series it might just be one game here so a game where Kyle Corver comes on and scores 15 points a game where Darren Williams might get 15 points and 6 assists or something something like that off the bench I think they're going to be uh-huh. the games because you, 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 I guess for Cleveland you're hoping that Kyrie averages around about 30 points a game LeBron gets his sort of 30 and 10 every night and, you know, eight assists or whatever, he's sort of averaging nearly triple-double. You know, uh, Kevin Love takes his opportunities when they come around, but it's going to be can those guys on the bench um, step up, I think, game to well, game. That's going to... Um, that's, 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 a scary, that's a scary thought because, then, <clears throat> I mean, the, 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 the bench for Cleveland for the last two years, I mean... I, I would never rely on 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 the bench. We're very top heavy, <laughs> very top heavy. I mean, we're not not quite to the Washington Wizards, uh, yeah, outscoring the bench uh, level, but um, it's it, it's right up there. So, um, but do you I, are I, you with me though? Is this bench better than last year's though? Do you oh, think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, Darren Williams has been been great. I mean, I mean, yeah, him and him and Corver. I mean, I still, someone still explains to me why Atlanta traded Kyle Corver to 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 Cleveland. I have no idea. Oh, I think they, they, got, they got a first round pick, and uh, no. I don't think they get the what the thirty first pick in the draft or whatever. Yeah, but that's like, still that still have value. I mean, that's still an extra pick. Um, uh, for Atlanta, though, I mean, yeah. well, I, I mean, know. look, I, I don't mind. I didn't mind the trade for Atlanta, and they were going nowhere anyway. Kyle Corver wanted to show the ring; he'd be a loyal player for them. I personally didn't think it was a much of a downgrade for them between him and Dunleavy. Um, it probably was, but I mean, would Kyle Corver have made much more of an impact with Atlanta than what Dunleavy did anyway? I'm not sure. Obviously, just different environment. I, I still can't work out why Dunleavy didn't have any impact on the Cavs, but maybe it's just a personality thing. Within I, t- the I sent you, I else. sent you the video. I sent oh, you the video. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, for, for anyone, go and Google the uh, what was it, the Cleveland eighties eighties night video, and then you'll see why Mike Dunleavy never fit into the Cavs. Okay, so it was a, probably a personality thing more than anything else. So. Um, and Corver's had his moments, so he, he could be an interesting player. But look, he could also be a player that can't even be on the court in this series too because the Warriors are one team. They will, if, if you have a defensive liability out there, they will pick on that guy every single time down the court until you take him off. So that's, that's where the pressure is going to be on Ty Lue from a coaching point of view, um, really right from the start. Because Mike Brown... He knows what he needs to do. I don't, I don't think he's going to be too worried about lineups and things like that. I mean, you, you get those four superstars out there and put anyone else out there. You can even throw the coward out there and you might have a, a positive <laughs> plus minus at the end of the game. Um, so I think the, the coaching side of it is going to be much more difficult for Ty Lue to say, well, how long do I ride a Kyle Corver? 
on the defensive end if he's not bringing it. And that's, that's I think, where, where the key sort of moments are going to be in the series um, and the key decisions are going to be on both sides of the board. But let's get some predictions now. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. I, I'm... I'm Tossing up between Warriors in five and Warriors in seven. I, I, don't, I can't see the Warriors winning that game six in Cleveland. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to go Warriors in five. I just think uh, Cleveland haven't convinced me enough. I, those open shots, when I saw the same set that you looked at, Darren, about those open shots that Boston missed. And, I mean, as I was watching some of those games, I felt the same thing myself. I thought, they're just missing a lot of open shots here. And I'll tell you what, as you said, if they're going to give the Warriors those sort of open shots, it's going to be shut the gate. Uh, and they may not even take a game, but I'll, I'll give them a game just because of LeBron. But having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven, and I wouldn't be uh, you know, floored if, if the Cavs even went, out, went ahead and won it. But, uh, Andrew, what's your prediction? Are you, you sort of seem to be leaning towards Warriors in six as a pessimistic tip, but are you, are you ready to, to put it down for the Cavs? Well, look, uh, as, a, as a pessimistic tip, that would be one. But having been featured on uh, the Cavs.com page uh, the, under the column The Optimist, when The Optimist used to write for Cleveland.com back in the day in the Ricky Davis era in the you know, 1924 win era, um, highlighting what a dedicated Cavs fan I was for following along the, the scores on the internet, even though we were getting blown out by 30 or 40 points every game. I'm not going to not going to leave it on a pessimistic tip. I'm going to say Cleveland in six. I'm going to say we pinch we pinch one of the one of the one of the games in Oakland, the, one of the first two, and then uh, then then uh, hold hold home court and win in six. All right, Darren. What you you actually I think tipped Cleveland seven? Did you last year from memory? I did, um, but I was pulling for I was still pulling for Golden State back then. Just mm. I don't know why because it was so fun. Something that the the Kevin Durant edition is not just I don't know I don't enjoy it as much even though they're better. I guess there's something about maybe the surprise of how good that team was last year. Um, well, I think just to quickly I'm, touch on that, I think you sort of touched on that yourself before when you say they've only been in thirteen close games this year, so it hasn't been fun. Whereas I remember last year, the last two years, it really was fun to be flicking through the NBA scores and saying, oh, Warriors are down 16 or something. That's a must-watch. And they were involved in all these crazy finishes and these really close games. And, oh. and that's sort of what made people fall in love well, with them. It has, hasn't happened this year. For, it was it, it was the OKC series. It was when Clay Thompson goes video game ape shit, you know, and what was that, game six it would have been, mm, right? That's right. Oh. And they have the double superstars who are – were arguably even better athletes than KD and, and Ross on the same team, you know, and they couldn't close out that team. And then they go up 3-1. You sort of go, oh, my God, they're 73-9. and nine. Then they go down 3-1, and they overcome adversity. It was overcoming adversity. That's probably what I like about, you've heard my theme probably out of 17 of 18 episodes, I love contrast and style. And it's like any fan, you love the overcoming adversity, which is why I the answer to your question why well, I don't think fans are going to you know backlash against Giannis in a way they would perhaps others and I know LeBron didn't really come from anything but LeBron was tipped a superstar at age fucking 12 and had ESPN sorry Sports Illustrated covers at like age 15 Giannis was selling 
you know, trinkets outside the, you know, the Acropolis at age 13, right? So I kind of go, I don't think there's going to be the aw shucks custard eating Milwaukee Bucks led by Giannis aren't going to run that same sort of fate. I totally digress. But finally answering your question. Um, <laughs> Only a, you can a, work well, the Bucks I, I, into a, what, what's your tip for I the finals. I, I, well, I thought I was, I was watching Ross Noble that had like gone off on a tangent and answered a question from an hour and a half before. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm old, man. I'm old. So I'm going Cavs in seven again. Oh. I go, they're going to win another one on the road. I think I'm – this is total <sighs> wishful – I'm not. I can't, for, I can't deal with seven. You're just trolling cram now. And this you're is just total. This is total. <laughs> on paper, the the dubs should sweep. On paper, they should sweep. Right? They don't have a flaw. They don't have a flaw. They're a little undersized. If Kevin Love plays his greatest basketball in his life, that for me, believe it or not, is the greatest opportunity. I know Draymond's Draymond, but I saw glimpses i saw of draymond right he pa was going over the top of him you know david lee was going over the top of him kevin love can go over the top and can stretch him out so if kevin love i'm just gonna you know my wishful thinking this is not analytical thinking plays the greatest seven games of his life in the way Kyrie did last year i'm gonna go Cavs and seven for an historic of all historic um finals Cavs and seven I think it would be interesting if the first possession the Cavs get, they just post up Kevin Love. First three possessions and just say, this is what we're going to do with Kevin Love. At least make you think about it, you know. Um, I'm not sure they will do that, but I think if if Love... The problem is I don't see the Cavs posting Kevin Love up a lot these days. He seems to sort of sit out in the corner waiting for waiting for three-pointers. Um, they did it a bit in the Indiana series. <laughs> Well, there you go. So maybe that's something in his back pocket, and and you know, I I think you you have to play a little bit in the post just to slow the game down a little bit. And obviously, um, Kevin loves the second best option they have to do that behind LeBron. Um, so all right, so we're we're on the board. So you go, guys are both going Cavs. Uh, I'll go Warriors in five, and I love that. So you say um, to Darren Hill, look, what, what's your tip for the finals? Well, let me talk about Giannis for a second. <laughs> <laughs> You asked me about Giannis, I never answered you. So I'm just closing the loop, man. Oh, loose ends, loose ends, producer, loose ends. Yeah. So well, well, let's talk a little bit about the the lottery, um, which happened uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and I, the, the great shot that sort of summed it up was Embiid sort of giving that um, oh. death stare look to Magic Johnson, who was laughing uh, when the Lakers finally got the the number two oh. pick. Um, but uh, look. I think the the lottery in some ways is a bit overblown in terms of its importance. I mean, I think it was important for the Lakers, obviously, because if they fell out of the top three, that was a calamitous for their organisation because they lose their pick this year and they also lost their pick in 2019. But apart from that, I just think I'm, I'm a big I think in years gone by, the lottery was probably, what, 50, where you picked in the draft, maybe it was... 50, even 60% importance and the way you develop players might have been 40% of it. Whereas I think it's really flipped now. I sort of think it's development is 75% and where you land the lottery is about 25% because these one-and-done players, it's so hard to get a 
a gauge on just where they're at and how good they're going to be. Um, and I think that the internal development of these teams can be a lot more important than actually where you're picking. And, and looking at this draft, I mean, I'm seeing so many different um, views about who's going first. I've seen Tatum go first. I'm seeing Josh Jackson go first in mock drafts. Obviously, um, Fultz is the number one pick in most mock drafts I'm seeing. Um, question marks about Lonzo Ball and particularly obviously around the circus that he's created um, this year. So, I mean, I'll go to you first maybe this time, Darren. What are your sort of thoughts on the importance of the draft this year? Um, and, and do you think it's one of those drafts or do you get the feeling it's one of those drafts where there's going to be 10 really good players and then it comes down to internal development? Or is, is there a couple of standout picks in your mind and was it important for Boston to hang on to that number one pick for that reason? I think as a whole draft, it feels like, and I'm not an expert, I don't spend hours and hours watching college basketball, but it feels like it's going to be like the 2014 draft where you look back and go, holy cow, from, you know, from basically pick number one to number 20, you've got 15 players who are impact players. That's my sense. Mm. So it feels both top heavy. Maybe it's even, it feels even perhaps better than 2014. It's both top heavy, you know, Wiggins and Jabari have had their own issues, but also very, very deep. So I think this was a year where if you didn't, strike it rich at the top, you're probably going to be okay. That being said, Boston hitting number one opens up the universe of possibilities and perhaps the most complex, multi-layered set of decision-making a general manager has faced in the history, <laughs> in modern history of NBA, faces oh. Danny Ainge and the Celtics this offseason. Extremely complicated by Isaiah's hip injury. If Isaiah's super healthy and they get bow out, that's one thing. Now they don't know what he's worth. He, he can't even can even trade an injured Isaiah. So them having the number one pick and an injured injured superstar, um, for in the whole complications, we could spend forty minutes talking about Boston's implications. I think is going to add fascination. Um, obviously, you mentioned the Lakers, where their their franchise was absolutely altered the next five to 10 years based on the way the ping pong ball went. And then to, to lesser extent, I guess a lot of, I was actually interested where Sacramento would land mostly just because of the, I guess, boogie getting moved and the chance that if the, you know, the Pelicans pick Phil happened to hit the ping pong ball, it was only about a 9% chance, but you know, the pick actually wouldn't have conveyed and that would have set that <laughs> disastrous franchise back even further. So it was, in a way, it was kind of nice to see Vlada gets two bites at the, you know, <laughs> two bites at the apple this year at number five and number ten. So, in terms of the ping pong balls in the order, I was a little bit sad by Phoenix dropping number, dropping two spots. But there's there's a lot of stars, you know, at, at the top of the draft. Um, but yeah, so I guess the hype, is the hype, but it's kind of fun though, right? So it is a bit overblown, but man, you know, with your team. If your team has a two percent chance to get number one, you're still tuning in. Right? I I kind of like the theater of the of the lottery, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, don't don't knock that two percent chance. Hello, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Hi, Kyrie. I know. Seriously. Exactly. So, no, I mean I yeah. think it'll be interesting to see if Boston maybe look at trading down. We see that a lot in the NFL, but we don't see it for whatever reason in the NBA, and it would make sense depending on the team. 
And I guess Philly's another team to watch what they do with this pick because they own uh, Sacramento's pick as well in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. It could even be 2018 outright. Um, actually, I think it is 2018. So you, you can't... Uh, and they're obviously not going to be very good. That's right, because they own the Lakers pick next year and they had Sacramento's in 2019. So they don't necessarily need their first picks the next couple of years. They've, they've essentially got two pretty good first-round picks the next two years looking forward, Philadelphia. So they're a team with a lot of trade assets that people aren't looking at, um, probably as hard as Boston, simply because they're further behind Boston uh, at the moment. So I think they're going to be another another team to watch in terms of seeing whether they uh, sort of trade up or down, um, depending on uh, you know what's available and, and who they think's out there. But uh, wh- where are you looking at, Andrew? I mean, did you see any sort of team that you're looking at and saying, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what they do on draft night? Oh, Boston for sure. I mean, that, that, that Cavs series, I mean... You know, if Danny Ainge wasn't having nightmares after game two, thinking about what he what he was going to do with that number one pick, I mean, they're, they're so far away from, from being one player away from competing next year, it's not even funny. Healthy Isaiah or not. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I assume they keep that pick and they and they take faults, but, but then that, that basically puts them back into a semi-rebuilding mode again, I think. Um yeah, would they would they consider uh, yes yeah, sw- switching that pick, dropping down a few spots, maybe Philadelphia going up a couple? Yeah, I could I could see that happening. I, I think this this year actually, I, I think because it's a um, yeah to touch on on your on your earlier question about developing players and and the importance of the lottery, I think it 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 has so much to do with what year it is and and who's in the draft. I mean, if you look at that year that we had the number one pick and we took Anthony frickin' Bennett, I mean, you know, in retrospect, yeah, sure, we could have picked Giannis, but no one was going to pick Giannis at number one. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered who they picked. The the, the, the three guys that, that were that were in line for number one, none of them would have panned out for Cleveland, really. I mean, Victor Oladipo maybe would have been, a you know, what he is now, a sort of a fringe starting player. Um, but this year, I think um, I, I think, think all hell's going to break loose. I think I, I, if I had to bet on it, I would say Boston will take Fultz, Lakers will take you know, the Lonzo show, and then after that, anything could happen. I, I think I think we're in for a real real fun one with some with some trades trades galore and some real surprises. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Would you, Darren, be avoiding the Lonzo circus if you're Magic Johnson? Jeez, that's a great question. Um... What it does is it's it's like he's new in his tenure, and it's like um, he actually made he was quite prudent in his first whatever it's been four or five months, right? Mm. In his moves, he didn't make do anything dramatic. Flipped um, flipped Lou for a first rounder, right? So he's quite quiet. But then one smart transaction, he's under a lot of pressure to take Lonzo, right? The whole country is talking about Lonzo, um, all the local hometown, everything. And it's it's a very, very Lakers thing to do, right? There's a, this is the most family-oriented, as we've talked about before, Daz. We just kind of go this nepotism gone wild, you know? It's like, what? why is Magic the GM? Was 
you know, was, was Rambus not available? Was Mitch, you know, you know, so it's the most Lakers thing to do to take Lonzo. And I go, you better be on a, from a basketball sense, magic. I'd hope this is where his value as a GM would actually prove valuable. Um, his value would prove um, unique. I suppose the word I'm looking for is, can you make D'Angelo Russell a two? That's the great, that's the big question. So that's the hope. That's a question that he's asking as a professional is can we make D'Angelo Russell a two to play him next to Lonzo? Because I think Lonzo needs to be the star right away, and you have to have then D'Angelo playing off ball if they don't think that's a great fit because you suddenly have a ridiculously exposed on the defensive end, Lonzo and D'Angelo. You then have to go to plan B and say, okay, we love D'Angelo at the one. Should we then take a whatever, Tatum or Jackson? So he's going to be under in unbelievable pressure to take ball. And if he doesn't, I probably would respect him more if what he does in from a basketball sense is throw every ounce of his weight behind D'Angelo and says, we're going to pair him with Josh Jackson and, and Julius is our four. And Ingram, you know, can be our swing guy. I swear Ingram's destined for a six-man role. Um, that'd be fascinating. But fuck, can you imagine... Does anyone have a harder decision than Magic? What if Magic didn't like Lonzo? That's kind of the that's a great thought experiment. What if he actually doesn't like him? I think about the pressure he's under. Well, I think, and and this is not going to go away. So this ESPN, they're going to be talking the Lavar ball eighty-two times next year because every single game they're going to have him on as a talking head or Fox Sports, whoever it's going to be. Um, he will be on there as a talking head. This guy is not going to shut up. Shut his mouth, okay. So you've got a problem there because if if Lonzo plays his first game and he plays twenty minutes and they lose, what do you think is going to happen? ESPN's going to be all over it. Luke Walton's going to have to answer questions about it. I think it's just going to be an absolute circus. Um, and if I'm the Lakers, I guess if any franchise could handle it, probably they could because they're used to having a bit of a circus um, around there and they're used to that attention. Well. A circus that they're used to it, but this this circus is going to have to win pretty quickly, right? So I go, I, I'm. It's probably the most fascinating pick of the entire draft. Is do the Lakers just do what we all think, then all the plinko, you know, the plinko chips just fall into order, or do the Lakers, the Lakers go with Josh Jackson or Tatum? But I go Josh Jackson and Tatum are more redundant to what they have with with Randall and with. Um, with Ingram, so yeah. the the safe in a many ways, it the safest way. No one's going to criticize Magic for taking Lonzo. So the the pressure comes. What if Magic doesn't like his game, or doesn't like how he fits, or what if Magic loves D'Angelo? So and then if he loves, if he ends up taking ball, can you can you move D'Angelo to the two? Oh, well, you're going to have to do something go, with D'Angelo because you've already seen. You're basically then saying we've got Lillard and McCollum. I mean, different types of players, but essentially that's your backboard, particularly defensive. Defensive. That's why I'm with you. And yeah. we're seeing where that's taken Portland, and, and Portland don't look to me like they're going to be contenders at any stage with those two as, as their key pieces. So my, my view is I think he either trades the pick or I, I don't think he takes anyone else there. He either trades that pick for something, I don't know what, 
or probably more likely is if he takes Lonzo, he's going to look to move D'Angelo Russell. And whether that's for Paul George or something else we're not even considering at the moment, um, I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Do you, you sort of be following this as well? Oh, well, I, I've been following following it more from the circus point of view than actually trying to analyse Lonzo's game. It's 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 a weird thing for me as a Cavs fan to not be heavily invested in the draft. Um, I'm still not used to it. <laughs> the draft lottery day used to be the highlight of my year. Um, oh God, that Lavar Ball! Wow, what a um, what a what a special dude he is. Um, I'm interested to see how 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 his shot translates to the NBA. To be honest. It, uh, I've never seen anything like it. Just the way, just the mechanics of it. It's uh, just of, of the the limited amount that I've seen. I, I just I just don't know. I, I think if you got to, you know, if, if 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 they're playing the Spurs, whoever he's playing for, yeah, you know, and then Kawhi's guarding him, yeah, good luck with Lonzo. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's going to be the thing. I mean, and I think it's going to be interesting if if the Lakers don't take him, how far he may fall, because I don't think. Uh, that uh, Philly will take him because they're not looking at a point guard at this point because they've already said they, they, they see that role for Ben Simmons. Um, and I'm not sure how Phoenix would feel either uh, going with that. So I guess Phoenix would probably take him and, and pair him up with, with Booker in the backcourt and maybe look to move Bledsoe would be the, the, the move for them. But uh, I, I think there, there's baggage there and I think any GM would, would sort of beware at this stage um, about you know taking on Lavar Ball and, and, and everything that comes with it, um, but looking a bit. Uh, did you want to make another point there, Darren? No, I was just going into my my kaleidoscope fantasy draft machine. If I was if I was Magic, my money's still on. I don't think Magic is going to sit here and try to build a team for to compete in the year twenty twenty one. Right, I just don't. It just doesn't feel Lakers, and it doesn't feel Magic Johnson. Like, why would he come and do this? And to go, oh yeah, we're going to be competitive in four years and build this team around, you know, the petulant D'Angelo and and little Lonzo Ball, who's a pretty young kid. So my, I was getting a little bit, a little bit wild thinking when you when Cleaver you said the comment. I go, it's going to be all hell breaks loose. I, I could also in equal measure thing, maybe magic lets all hell break loose. And he does something like trades the number two and number 28 and Larry Nance and, and Jordan Clarkson for, for Jimmy Butler and then signs Paul George next year. And suddenly he's got D'Angelo, Jimmy Butler, Paul George and Julius Randall starting, you know, in, in 2018 Mm. in basically a year and a half. And he's got himself, you know, two of the best 20 players in the league in their primes and Jimmy and George who fit perfectly Ingram coming off the bench as your young stud D'Angelo running the point who can shoot from anywhere. And I kind of go, it's that sort of thinking is maybe where my gut says, if I'm magic, why not? What does he have to lose? This guy's been to, you know, um, HIV hell and back and everything he's lived through. And he's, you know, he's, had every success. He doesn't need this job. And they go, is he really going to sit here and try to build a contender to like Danny Ainge and just be, you know, yay, we're going to be, we're going to be in this every year until 2025. That's the most anti LA thing possible. And I go, Lonzo, Lonzo doesn't change that narrative and they're not luring tons of free agents. 
So I kind of, I'm starting to, my, my inkling is, could they find a way to package number two to get a star like a Jimmy Butler or something? So that's kind of, that was my little harumph, you know, as I sip, you know, beer number five here this evening. <laughs> well, I think, I think so, yeah, I, their thinking has to be to try and, if they're going to do any trade, try and get a number one pick back for next year, but also try and be competitive next year because they don't own their own pick. So he, he's going to be looking at, I, I agree with you, I think if any moves he makes is going to be looking to turn this around relatively quickly. Yeah, how about how about this though? I mean, really, since the shit show that was the, the Kobe Bryant retirement tour, how relevant have the Lakers been on, on the national stage? They haven't at all. Like seriously, no. You like you know, you, you guys talk about it every third episode how you'd rather pluck your own eyeballs out than watch a Lakers game, and that's that's it. And what's the quickest way to get the Lakers back? Like yeah, the the freaking Lakers, like yeah, the Lakers and Celtics go hand in hand in NBA you know, folklore. The quickest way to get them back into into the the, the national media is to take Lonzo Ball. They take Lonzo Ball. Everyone's watching them for at least the first. Well, they probably watch them the whole year because you know Lavar Ball makes sure that there's always some drama happening around the team. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion from from what all, all, all I've read that Paul George is going going there as a free agent, whether whether he gets traded out this year or whether he whether he waits next year. So they've got that superstar in waiting in George. So to me, I'm not sure that it really matters that much whether they're actually like super competitive again this year. I think. To me, if I was if I was Magic, I would I would probably take ball just to, yeah, just for the the eyeballs back on the Lakers again. Oh, I think you're being very kind to Paul George there. I think Paul George guarantees you the oh. nine the nine seed in the Western Conference. Well, and, a and superstar is a, is a is a loose term <laughs> these days. I think I think he I think he showed his superstar ability in uh, in games one and two against Cleveland, but uh... <laughs> I think he's a borderline all star at this at this well, sort of point. Uh, so I'm sort of with it. So I, I'm, I go, who says no? You know, Gar Pax or Magic Johnson, the number two, the number 28, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr. for Jimmy Butler, who's 28 years old, and the team is stuck nowhere in the East. Who says no to that? I, I go. I do, I do it on both sides. I agree. I think that, I think that, that works um, for the yeah. Bulls. It gives the Bulls some hope. Um, and obviously the Lakers straight back on the map to some extent anyway, and and they must like the the, thing, their like... young core is not too bad either at the moment, um, depending on obviously Ingram's development. So if the Lakers are in the East, that would that would instantly put them you know in the in the top half of the Eastern Conference or at least you know the sixth seed something like that. In the West, how how far has it moved the needle? I don't know. I don't I don't I don't see that as a playoff team still. No, but Butler teaches a D'Angelo and Ingram. How to be fucking tough and how to play, and he's he'll be actually instantly tougher than their coach. Walton, by sounds like many measures, is a, is a smart coach, but he doesn't, you know, he's not Jimmy Butler, right? Walton was a two-bit eighth man, right? He was a gimmick on the court, and so Butler brings a superstar talent, right? Is he was he third team NBA this year? Yeah, he was third team All NBA, I believe. He made All NBA, didn't he? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's. He's the real deal. That's why I'm just thinking. If, if I'm Magic, I'm sort of playing the. I'm not playing the long game. I'm playing the one year game. If I can parlay this ping pong ball into Jimmy Butler and Paul George, um, and he probably needs to do a little tampering to really 
talk to Paul George's agent and, and to Paul George, but I think that's be you'd almost need one with the other. So I go, you know, this time next year, you got 28 year old Paul George and 28 year old Jimmy Butler with D'Angelo and Ingram, you know, entering their, you know, kind of growing up. I go, that is a fun team, actually. Yeah, that's probably a playoff yeah. team in the West. Oh, and, sure. yeah. and depending on the on the development of those other two, potentially a, uh, a contender da- down the track well, uh, if you can add and, another piece. And, you, you know, we talk a lot about, and a lot of the podcasts talk about, you know, with especially the rookie of the year conversation, you know, with the, it's all about opportunity when you talk about Malcolm Brogdon and kind of making it in Sarich, getting all kinds of garbage minutes. But you think about Lonzo Ball, he's got a chance to learn between, you know, learn his game and hone it behind Isaiah Kanan and learn from Michael Carter-Williams and learn from Cameron Payne and all these unbelievable point guard talents in Chicago. Lonzo can probably sit on the bench and just watch these guys. <laughs> Come on, you're supposed to you're supposed to stop the flow of rubbish at some point. <laughs> I was just trying to see where you're going with it. I thought, is there a punchline? <laughs> no, it's no. like staring into the bottom of my beer, like, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> no. be... He'd be the 11th point guard on on the Chicago <laughs> roster. So imagine the Lakers trade the pick, and then Chicago doesn't take Lonzo, and then Lonzo ends up in who's got Lonzo ends up in Sacramento. <laughs> oh God! Wow. Yeah, well, that's that's obviously that that would Vivek be good for the, the comic relief side of things. Um, <laughs> anyway, just, just I quickly totally digress on the Celtics. Just quick, I think I think. And you touched on it, Darren. That Danny Ainge is looking down the track with this team. I don't oh, think he he considers God. them a contender with this this current iteration of the lot. I don't even think they're that worried about what happens with Isaiah Thomas. They got him for nothing. If he loses for nothing in three agency, I don't think they're going to lose a heck of a lot of sleep over it. They're just building a young team now that they think, and that's that's one of the reasons they're throwing Jalen Brown out there in the Eastern Conference Finals, even though he was getting killed a lot of the times. So just get the reps under him. Um, and, and they may look at it too and go, you know what? Yeah, we did miss a lot of open shots. Maybe next year we make some of those open shots and we push them a bit further. Maybe, you know, Cleveland have a bit of injury bad luck that we had this year. Um, although you might be waiting a long time for LeBron to get injured, but we've seen other guys get injured within that lineup. So, you know, there's something to be said, I guess, for being the second best team in the East. And if, for whatever reason, Cleveland fall over, you do make a little bit of improvement. Uh, they may not be as far away as what we think. And, and from all reports, if they take Fultz, he's one of the few guys in this draft class that could come in and automatically be um, automatically uh, be a contributor, even on a contender like Boston, or a quasi-contender, if you like. Um, just looking well, down... Oh, sorry, what were you going to say, Darren? Oh, well, he's not better than Isaiah Thomas. And so who's, who sits on the bench, him or Isaiah? And I go, they, and they have a whole bunch of, they got a whole bunch of awesome players who play really hard, right? But they, they don't have a single star. And so I, I kind of go, they better be playing the really, really long game if they, if they keep this pick. This isn't a 2019 competition, right? They're, you know, they'll lose Isaiah, they lose 30 points a game, and okay, good luck replacing that. Um, big fat Al Horford, he's slowing down, and he's he's not going to age well. He kind he might age like Powell, I guess. You could see him just as super finessing his way, but it's suddenly your 113 million dollar man isn't doing anything, and I kind of go, this they're going to need all the assets that Billy King has gifted them. 
So I, I'm not as I'm not as sold on, you know, Fultz coming in and making this huge impact. He he's probably because they got nine ten deep on their roster. This is the this is the dialogue going around Boston. He'd be lucky, right? Would he be lucky to get fifteen minutes a game? Oh, I think that because like, who, who's he replacing? Yeah, but if they pick Fultz, I think this is possibly the game plan for them. So you, you sign Haywood hopefully in free agency. Um, give the crowd there another white guy to cheer for because that's what they want. And oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I went there. I went there. We'll call it a white take. That's a white take. Not a hot take, a white take. Read the history of Boston sports. It's not high, that's not hyperbole. So yeah, no. then we've got, so you know, you sign Gordon Haywood. Then you go, okay, let's move some assets for some rebounding, for goodness sake. Let's, let's see... And maybe it's not Kenneth Faroo, but that type of player. You know, let, let's get some real mongrel, some, a guy that's just going to go in there and get me 10 boards a game and play hard on defence, do a little bit of pick and roll. Dare I say it like a, even a Dwayne Dedman, just get someone like that in there um, to, to complement this team. And maybe it is a moving a, a Mark Smart. I'll tell you what, Avery Bradley's got some got some value now so whether they look at he's the guy that they maybe move or do you hang on to him so this is the beautiful thing i guess for boston there's a a thousand different directions they can go in and it's almost you know you would almost need lado duvach to come in and get it wrong at this stage um you know it's hard to see where they could possibly screw this up it's only going to be the question i guess for boston is when are they going to be a contender is it going to be next year? Is it going to be the year after? Is it going to be four years down the track? But at some stage, with what they're building now, they are going to contend and, and probably win, you would expect, an NBA title, given all, all the chances they've got. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you agree with yeah. that? <clears throat> you know you know what they remind me of? As you, were, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, they remind me of a more successful version of the Cleveland Browns. They're... <laughs> <laughs> They yeah, just finished second in the Eastern <laughs> Conference. I mean, you know, you I can't said sort more of be successful. Going... I mean, geez, one team finished second in the East, one team won one game. No, but the, the Browns <laughs> for the, the the Browns for the last three years have been. I, I I'm I'm on board with with their their new management team, but I mean, my God, they're just stockpiling draft pick after draft picks, and then each year they they have these draft picks and they swap them for more draft picks, and you you have all these assets. You think. When are they going to cash these assets in for something? And that's the same thing with Boston. They've, they've had these things. They've had these the Brooklyn picks. They've still got it. Maybe they'll do it before the draft. Maybe maybe Ainge is waiting for the godfather offer to come from whoever to, to get the, this number one pick. But, I mean, they've, they've, you, were, you were thinking trade deadline this year, even, even off-season last year, again this year. When are they going to make their move to to you know, actually cash some of these things in? It's the same uh, thing. Yeah, well, I'm interested in your thoughts, Dan. I mean, you 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 don't think they're they're a shoe in to be a contender? Well, I'm. I think there's a two things. There's not a shoe in to get Gordon Hayward. I still think he's a sixty percent chance to go back to Utah, which actually might even be better for Boston, right? Because mm. you're going to pay whatever. 25 28 million a year for a guy it's like oh let's say you sign hayward then what do you do who who gets who gets bumped the most that's that's jalen brown right or you say okay he's not going to bump jalen brown minutes or avery bradley minutes he's bumping jay crowder minutes okay jay crowder's got a nice contract what are you going to trade him for a draft pick right you can get more picks down the road so i kind of go it's not 
they have so many, they have 10 really good players at some point. And sorry, Gordon Hayward's a nice player. He's going to make them now, they're going to have 11 really nice players. But they they don't have a Giannis. That's why I'm actually thinking, I know I, they, the Milwaukee's coach isn't anywhere near Brad Stevens, nor is their depth anywhere near Boston's depth, nor are their future assets. But Milwaukee already has one of the top 10 players in the league, might even be top seven player in the league, who's 22 years old. Boston doesn't have that player. Oh. Jalen Brown maybe in four years could be that player, but they're four years away from finding out they might have a superstar. And so I kind of go, they had a wonderful set of assets, but I think signing Hayward to patch him with fat-ass Al Horford is a terrible idea. So I go, they need to put their eyes on competing in 2022, or as Cleaver said, go, go now. The, the East is literally one team, and Washington, if they figure stuff out, but Washington's general manager is Ernie Grunfeld, so they will not. And so the, the East is one team. Hmm. So I go, that's why I'm befuddled. Why I, I, I wanted Ainge to make a bigger, bolder move at the deadline, and he didn't. So if he's thinking long-term, great, and he's obviously much smarter than me, but I go, they're going to lose a lot of players and not get much value because I don't see how you take 10 really good rotation players and not turn them into, you know, as we say in the U.S., you know, trading quarters for nickels. I, I don't see it. So I actually think the Bucks, in a way, are one player away. If the Bucks had 100% Jabari Parker. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the well, Bucks are, are what, one player away from really fucking pissing off and taking Cleveland to seven. Boston is not one player away from taking well, Cleveland to seven. Yep. Uh, anyway, it, it depends. Uh, look, uh, we'll wait. And, uh, we'll wait and see. I guess. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for Burn, the second best team in, in the Eastern Conference. They got the one seed this year. I think they will be better next year, no matter what happens. Um, let's see what moves they try and make. Maybe there's a Godfather offer there for Anthony Davis or something like that, and they just put all the chips on the table, and, and who knows where that one might end up. Um, I can't see New Orleans ever doing that, but. Who knows? They because New Orleans have got to look down the track and think: Is Anthony Davis going to re-sign with us? So there, there might be some some sort of thoughts there um, about you know a real top-level superstar. If you pull all these draft assets, except all the young assets together, given that you've already got a very competitive team. So it, it, either way, whatever way it happens, it's going to be fascinating to see. Let's quickly touch on, before we, we finish our time, touch on a couple of free agency rumours and, and the all-NBA teams, because of course we, we touched on uh, Gordon Hayward. He did not make any of the all-NBA teams, which obviously has some contractual implications for him, same as Paul George. Uh, so just to quickly go through it, the first team was Kawhi, LeBron, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Uh, interesting, one one uh, voter put LeBron in the second team, which made a little bit of news. The second team was Kevin Durant, uh, Giannis, Rudy Gobert, Stephen Curry, and Isaiah Thomas. And the third team was Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green, John Dre Jordan, John Wall, and DeRozan. Anyone that you saw there that, uh, that sort of was a bit unlucky to miss out, to Andrew, first, I'll go to you. I was pretty happy with those teams. Yeah, Hayward maybe, but um, no, I, I don't know who you'd bump to put him in. Um, maybe DeRozan. Yeah, he was probably slightly fortunate, perhaps, to to, to make it. But um, 
Overall, yeah, apart from the uh, the dickhead that didn't put LeBron in the first team, I, I didn't didn't have too many dramas with it all. <laughs> what about you, Darren? What were you any any sort of thoughts? Anything that jumped there that you were those all NBA teams? Well, obviously, I was thrilled with Giannis to go from right Philofatikos Greek division second team in 2012 to this is you know it's pretty cool and really fun. Um, it's probably more of the comment around the the way the league is going and having, you know, we're used to be called the tweener, like a bad tweener was like Anthony Bennett, you know, oh. but now players who play multiple positions are, you know, are multi-positional and versatile and switchable. And so in the way the league is going and still having this insistence on positional players making the all NBA teams. And I go, DeAndre Jordan, is he one of the 15 best players in the, in the NBA? No fucking way. Yeah, sorry, mm. I can think of probably 20 players better than I'd rather start my team with than DeAndre Jordan. So, look, DeAndre's a he's had a really good season, surrounded by right. You know, we all know the the Clippers story. And I don't I don't have anything against him. I just don't like this, you know, this positional narrowing in and having to force feed a you know a third center on the team. That's my only little 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 mini wins. But no, that's pretty that's a pretty good list actually. I didn't have many problems other than that, you know, the silly forcing a center onto the list. Yeah, I think that's probably on the way out. I mean, it is pretty much positionless basketball at the moment. And the Cavs, which we've spoken about a few times, oh, I don't think they have a center on their roster. Talking um, about Channing Fry, you already mentioned yeah, that before. Exactly. <laughs> C Fry. C dot Fry, yeah. So C dot Fry. Just to quickly touch on the final point we might touch on today is um, about the, the free agency rumour. So, sorry. sorry. I'm just like, I just was looking through the list. I'm like, sorry, DeAndre Jordan makes it and Chris Paul doesn't. Okay. Well, I was going to go is, to Chris Paul. The list now. is broken. The list is broken. I go just, <laughs> just on that. He's not even the best player on his team. And he makes a list because he's taller. Well, so it's a third-team okay. NBA center. I mean, it is positional, so they're saying. I guess yeah, he, I the history says he's the third best center in the league. Well, um, Draymond would make it, you know, an, an unbelievable third NBA team death lineup with Draymond at center, DeRozan at the power forward, and uh, Wall Butler and Chris Paul. That would be a really fun team, actually. Yeah, exactly. It? Okay, exactly. that's so the we'll... IPA talking. Let's Sorry. talk. Well, let's talk, Chris Paul, a bit. I'm hearing the the rumors to Chris Paul to the Spurs. Um, what do you, I mean? I don't sort of. I think there's a lot of logistics that need to happen, or a lot of gymnastics that would need to happen. I, I don't see it happening. But does it make sense for you, Darren? I'm sort of looking at it and going, okay, if they can move, you know, move Power, Power Gasol on. Uh, stretch Tony Parker out. Uh, don't resign Paddy Mills. Don't resign Simmons. Make enough cap space. Do you see this? Is this a team? I guess that can push the Warriors if you insert Chris Paul into the lineup. Um. Yes. I I couldn't love it more. Actually, I think about the 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 no nonsense, get it done work ethic of Kawhi. Now you tell me, Daz matched with the perfectionist, albeit mouthy, right? Um, mouthy leader of, of Chris Paul, who desperately now wants to win, and Pop, who brings his, you know, metronomic, um, militaristic, perfectionistic um, sort of approach to things. 
And whilst Chris Paul is mouthy on the floor, Chris Paul is quiet outside of the 48 minutes. He, Chris Paul plays fucking basketball. So from an outside, a non-Spurs fan, I think that marriage, whilst Pop must be very, very close to retirement, right? The last couple of years, I think if, especially if Manu goes and clears a bit of space and I don't know how they clear the space, but I think in theory, the the cultural fit, the stylistic temperament fit, I can see Kawhi adapting to a, the mouthier the mouthier Chris Paul and actually probably finding himself, oh my God, he's got himself the, you know, someone with the competitive fire and the grit and the win at all cost mentality on his team. On paper, I, I love it. Let Patty go, encourage Manu to, to retire. Um, I don't know how they clear this space, but I, I love the theory of Pop, Kawhi, and Chris Paul. I just, I love the thought of it. Well, I've seen the ways they can clear the space, so and they can actually do it and still keep Lamarcus Aldridge. And the interesting point I saw Stephen Jackson make was he said that it would be a great thing for Aldridge because Aldridge is at his best in that sort of pick and pop game, and who's the king of the pick and pick and roll or pick and pop is uh, Chris Paul. So that would really improve his game a heck of a lot. And Kawhi Leonard's sort of player, he can play with anyone. So I don't think that's going to hurt his game at all either. Um, I guess the the thing, I guess, is you're then signing Chris Paul for probably a four-year deal. You got him to your 36. That's your core then. You're sort of locked into that to to some extent, I guess. I mean, Aldridge has only got one more year, then he can move on. The problem for the Spurs is they're sort of set up not next, not this year, then the following year to have big cap space. But the problem is the big free agents that year are going to be John Dre Jordan and, dare I say, DeMarcus Cousins. So I don't think they're sort of players that Pop would traditionally be looking at to bring in for this team. But where, whereas this year they've got guys like Chris Paul, I've heard Gordon Hayward's name thrown in as a potential Spurs target. So there are guys that sort of make more sense for this team, I think, Um this year, but they probably don't have the cap space to do it. So it's going to be fascinating to see whether they just... And as I said, what I saw was they somehow managed to stretch Tony Parker's contract out. They trade Pau Gasol. You don't re-sign Paddy. You don't re-sign Jonathan Simmons. Manu retires, and then you've got enough cap space. Yeah, that's why I'm... You, you attach a first, or a, I don't know if you need to attach a first to someone to take Paul. You need to get his... He's getting a shitload, like 17, 18 million next year. Mm. You need him gone. But yeah. I go, don't you think, though, just with Pops nearing retirement, Manu going, let's assume Manu goes, um, That's that for me feels like the let's win this in the next couple of years sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I think Pops, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pop, because he's taking over the US team. Um, I think it's after, is it after the next World Championships or is he already, I think he's already actually officially going to be taking over the US team. But I know he did make a promise to LaMarcus Aldridge he would be there until LaMarcus Aldridge's contract expired uh, or they trade him, which could happen in the off-season, but I somehow doubt it. Um, so I think certainly next year may very well be his last year. I think they want uh, Coach Messina to take over. They've already sort of got some planning, of, I think, in place for that to happen. But it'll be Pop's decision when he walks, like it is for any of the players um, within the Spurs system. So, but look from a basketball point of view, obviously I can see it happening. 
Uh, I think the Warriors, assuming Durant comes back, assuming Steph Curry comes back and, and they sort of keep that unit together, it doesn't matter what sort of team you put in, it's going to be very, very difficult to beat them. But there's no doubt that, that that's an upgrade for the San Antonio Spurs if Chris Paul comes on board. Oh, I guess Steph Curry does not want to see Chris Paul in a seven-game series next to Kawhi. No. Right, that's where I sort of think it's a, that's, the, that's, your, that's your mental toughness kryptonite, right? People like Kawhi and Chris Paul who do not give a flying rats about how many press conferences, peacocking, you know, <laughs> showboating, giggling, laughter, surfboard, having suntan waving, you know, transvestite beard growing, you know, showboat you make. <laughs> Fuck you. We're going to ball, right? So I, I pray, I pray to any god I might invent that Antonio, that would make me for the first time in my life a San Antonio Spurs fan. Just again for the contrast. Yeah, I mean the it, contrast of the the gir- girly gets glitzy tippy toe three pointers of beauty <laughs> and the f- silent fucking assassin next to the mouthy fucking assassin Chris Paul and Kawhi. Seriously, can oh that gives me oh. an NBA boner. Thinking about that's what you call the Spurs gasm. Oh, God. Spursgasm. Pop. Pop. Don't you think, Cleaver, wouldn't that be fucking brilliant? Oh, look, I, firstly, I need a cold shower. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I would just put one one tiny caveat on all this little yeah, Chris Paul Spurs love-in. The guy wrote a clause, they got a clause into the, into, the, into the collective bargaining agreement that can pay him like a shitload more if he stays a clipper. He's the president of the of the players' association, and there's there's basically the Chris Paul clause, and if you're over 35 or what I don't know, there's all these boxes you have to tick. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but Jesus, that's a the designated player exception. You're yeah, right, the, the super the, old guy. The story is yeah. that Chris Paul has said, and this is sources say type of thing, but so take it with a grain of salt. But he has said the only team he would consider going with, other than the Clippers, is the Spurs. Because oh. he obviously wants a title too, and this is oh, a guy look, that cares I, about his legacy, I think, in in the game, and it's not oh, going to improve if he signs with the Clippers. Well, what's he? He's never won it. Well, where's the furthest he's gone? Second never round? been past the second the, round. Yeah, so that that's it. He's uh, he's like the Tracy McGrady of, uh, of of the the modern era in many ways, isn't he? That's right. I mean, he thought he he had that great series, hit the big shot against the Spurs in in round one, and then they they went to pieces against the Rockets. Uh, in round oh. two, so that was their big chance. Uh, and, and look, this this Clippers team—they're not getting past the second oh. round. I mean, you know, they'll oh. they'll sort of sneak. You, you think they're sort of going to get to the playoffs, five, six seed, or whatever next year? But he knows oh. if he resigns with the Clippers, he's never winning a championship. That's it. Oh. It's over, right? If oh. he signs with the Spurs, he's now a contender. Almost certainly, if he stays healthy, he gets past that round two. He gets that monkey off his back, and who knows? He could he could be part of the team that took down the uh, you know the biggest villains in NBA history, the Golden State Warriors. Please God, well, well, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. I was just, he he could be the guy that prevents the 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 forepeat of the of the Cavs Warriors. Well, that, that no, that's be, what you're that saying because because LeBron's going to be the guy that takes down the one. But anyway, yes, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. All right, look, thanks for joining us, boys. We'll leave it there. We'll see how. Uh, enjoy your cruise, Andrew. Enjoy the finals. 
Um, Will do. I, I'm glad I could confirm with you that they're showing it on on the cruise line yes. TV. Excited. So that'll be, that'll be good. <laughs> Look, I can't believe how long we've got to wait to this series to start. It always it's the same every year, but it always surprises me how long a rest there is between the series ending um, and the finals actually starting. Obviously, it didn't help this year being a five game series and a sweep in the conference finals, but. Um, I'm not sure. I think they're because they're, they've got set dates already in place for when the finals start. So that's why there's oh. such a long time this time. But look, I'm I, um, I'm not looking forward to it. I can't lie. But anyway, I'm I'm sure we'll we'll talk next week, Darren, and see. We might even have Cram on board and see what his thoughts are um, on the first round, on on the first couple of games of the finals. But any sort of final thoughts uh, or predictions or, or things you're looking out for in the finals. I would just like two games decided by five points or less. I want two crunch time games. That's all I'm hoping for. No, that's fair. Give enough. me crunch think, time. Yeah, give give us a crunch time. Give me time crunch time. I, I would like one of those not to be game seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the nervous sweat. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't deal with another game like that. No, fair enough. I'll move for a few myself. And hopefully, Darren, you'll get to experience a few more. Uh, in the in the coming years as well. Well, my heart was still with the. I don't know if you're an Indians fan, but they. If you mm, think you uh, had bad, the Indians uh, had it worse. Mm. They had it worse. Oh, yeah. So imagine the poor Cleveland fans. Yeah, they. You deserved yeah. one championship last year. That was that was torture. Mm. Well, so, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the game yeah. seven that was tied at, at uh, nine, then had a rain delay. Yeah, that was uh, that was real fun. Mm. That's it. So um. All no, right, good gents. stuff, Daz. No worries. Thanks, guys. We'll talk again soon. Now, uh, Cram's given us the big brush off. Yeah, uh, what a past, surprise. Past his bedtime, mate. I knew we were going to be... You know, <laughs> he, he's a VIP. <laughs> P stands for prick. <laughs> <laughs>